There have to be reasons that you get up in the morning and want to live. Why do you want to live? What's the point? What inspires you? What do you love about the future? If the future does not include being out there among the stars and being a multi-planet species, I find that incredibly depressing. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. How do you like them apples, son? I like them apples quite a lot. I don't think you need to guess who that was. I don't think anyone does. I think we all know who that was. By the way, if you're playing the Elon Musk drinking game today on this week's podcast... Yeah, maybe don't have vodka. Maybe just have something... What's a really low alcohol? Go for an ale, a light ale. Yeah. 3.8%, that kind of thing. Maximum. There's going to be a lot. There's going, going to be a lot of musk today. A lot of musk. Right, the, talk. Fa- the Musk fanboys that we are, we are going to be waxing lyrical. So hold on to your seats. We're not going to apologise for it. I mean, Matt, how I will come on to me in a minute. But how excited were you? I I was actually shaking at the end of Falcon Heaven. I genuinely. <laughs> you were. I remember. I was genuinely. It, it made me ill. The next day, I was actually ill. I felt hungover. Did it do something to your heart and your muscles? It genuinely pushed my nervous system over the top. I was very nervous because I remember the whole 50-50 quote. Is this going to work? Is it going to blow up? Musk said that he had sort of thoughts that it was going to just be a huge explosion and then a tyre bouncing down the road. He had, <laughs> he had that nightmare. So, uh, I mean, what an incredible feat, Do, do you know what? We, we all knew what it was going to look like, but somehow when it was actually happening, it was just so much better. <laughs> It It seemed surreal. It seemed like it was. It seemed like it was fake. What was your favourite bit? What was your favourite bit? Well, the same as pretty much. Well, two favourite bits, of course, the landers, the boosters, left and right. I mean, that looked. It just looked like the simulation, which is why I said it looked fake because it just was so precise, and it's just so mind blowing that. (laughs) I mean, it's you could hard, watch it's that. It's hard to think about. Yeah, you could watch it over and over again, and it really did bring and I home. Did. Do you know what? It it really did look like at last we were living in the future. Yeah, it was mind blowing. And then, of course, you know, Starman in his cherry red Tesla, and the and the views of Earth in the background, well, spinning it's like, in the background. Was just, what? I know it was what? quite. It was quite funny when I, <laughs> when I was just like watching that. When I realised that there was a live feed on that as well. It was like mm. uh, it was. It was just it. that. That was bizarre, wasn't it? And when you could see the Earth reflected in in Starman's visor, it's just. I mean, breathtaking, breathtaking. I mean, the most powerful rocket since Saturn's Saturn Five, and whoa, whoa, whoa. he was saying, whoa, whoa. you know, most oh, powerful, uh, most powerful rocket since the space shuttle. Remember, um, Eric oh. Berger corrected me on that one. Although it. It, it gets a much bigger payload into space than the space shuttle because the space shuttle's carrying yeah. so much of itself up into space. But That's what I meant. Yeah. But power, oh, the space <laughs> shuttle, the space shuttle rocks. So it all went pretty smooth, didn't it? Apart from the core, you know, the centre core. The centre core, yeah. into the sea at 300 miles an hour. Was it 300 or 500? Apparently 300, according to Musk, and he said it took out both of the uh, pads engines... And he said that it's got to be some awesome footage. They're trying to find the uh, the GoPro cameras, and um, <laughs> and he said if they can recover them, if they didn't get exploded 
then uh, he will put that up online. We'll get but some epic footage. It of went that. pretty clean, apart from that, didn't it? Yeah, I the press conference. Other than, I mean, I I got so excited when Brendan from Are We Are We There Yet podcast. Yeah. Uh, he got Good to man. ask one of the very first questions, which was the question after Musk declared that he was tripping his balls off, which I thought was quite yes. funny. But <laughs> I, I felt suddenly I was only one degree of separation from Musk. So I've got to thank Brendan for that. What, what a legend. Absolutely. Good work and great question. Yeah, great question. But apparently it wasn't Brendan's. Apparently it was Anthony from uh, Main Engine Cutoff's question. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. <laughs> so that, yeah, okay, you heard it okay. here first, folks. Wasn't even Brendan's question. Brendan, maybe he told me that in confidence. I don't know, but oh, the uh, right now he did blurt it on our little Facebook group, Um, Twitter group. Check on the edit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to do anything such thing. No, but what I what I liked about the press conference is that there's something really compelling about Musk himself because he he's so socially awkward yet a compelling public speaker. And I can't think Correct. of me- I can't really think of many people like that, other than say. Well, do you know what Winston his, Churchill? His speech has his speech has got a lot better in the in the. I don't know if it's just because he had so much uh, confidence after what happened, but he didn't he didn't make too many stutters. No, but he was he was clearly like in in a state of euphoria when he was going. He of was just, course, he was like unbelievable. He was it was the archetypal American college kid, wasn't he? That's what it felt like to me. Yeah, but he I said loved it. he said absolutely some, loved it. He said some interesting things. He said some very interesting he things, did. like they're going to knuckle down uh, on concentrate on Dragon Two Crew Dragon, uh-huh. which I thought was interesting. Um, what else did he say? He also said uh, that the boosters were huge, but the BFR needs to be way bigger. So think of that, Matt. Think about how big the booster looked when there was a little human standing next to its feet. Yeah, I mean, no. Yeah, the BFR. Well, what's funny is that later on uh, yesterday... I was watching mm. the space shuttle again, and I realised actually, in all honesty, the space shuttle is actually more impressive a launch <laughs> than Falcon oh. Heavy. And I know that, that I, Matt, it's are you dissing it? Or? I'm not dissing it. I'm just, I'm just. It's it's <laughs> easy to forget how unbelievably incredible the space shuttle was. Absolutely. And, uh, and, it, <laughs> and that's and and after watching the space shuttle. It was it. I, I suddenly realised, yeah, it's just a rocket. However, it did make me think if that BFR really is going to seem like a whole different league. And and it was the boosters coming back down and landing like simultaneous, and all that was incredible. That that's what added the extra spice to it and all the kind of extra drama. Well, Matt, as he said, crazy things can come true. Yeah. So. You know, Matt, if you've got a dream, it doesn't matter how crazy it is, I think you should just go for it, yeah? Well, that's what that's what Musk has done. Just do it! Just that's do it! That's my Shia impression. <laughs> so... I hope I've inspired you, Matt. Um, that, that another be... thing he said was, he said, you can tell it's real because it looks so fake to the question of Starman, you know, and the Earth in the background. Yeah, he said, it... if I was going to Photoshop it, I'd make it look so much better. It was an he interesting said, CGI point. looks so much better. 
Yeah, but it was an interesting point, wasn't it, that space makes the colours look too sort of hyper-real because there's no kind of atmospheric yeah. blurring. And it's just like, yeah, it does. It makes it look a bit rubbish. Like a, That's like a, like It's like when someone films a film in digital and forgets to do some post on it and it just looks a bit too, uh It was like that. Yeah, but, a bit too crisp. Yeah. Shall we have some, shall we have, do you want to hear some Falcon Heavy facts? I thought oh, should we give people some facts? Give some people some facts. All right, you go first. So, the vehicle, the, the centre core hadn't been used before. That was like completely specialised core built for the Falcon Heavy. And in the press conference, he mm. said that they weren't going to reuse that anyway. So, it's not a disaster that it missed. And he also mentioned, mm. he said, if he was going to have one core that was lost, it would be that one because it didn't have the titanium grid fins, which got me thinking, mm. I wonder how expensive those titanium grid fins are. They must be ridiculously expensive for well, him to Matt, be thinking like that. Talking about, talking about expense, so 90 million, right? Mm. And he said it's not that much more expensive than Falcon 9. Mm. Well, so if you think about it, I mean, you know, they, and he said we're going to be collecting everything um, apart from the centre core and it's all going to be reusable, you know? So it really is looking at the future of if you can't do this, then what are you doing? Yeah, have you this seen has got the sh- to be the way forward. Have you seen the ship that goes out to try and catch the fairings, the nose fairings? No. So it's like this in, It's this ship with a great big net over the top of it. Like he said, he said in the conference it was like a, um, a baseball glove trying to catch them. And, it, okay. and, and he's, not, he's not exaggerating. So like this boat with an enormous net. And, and everyone was kind of guessing that that's what it was. But it turns out that that is what it was. So, that, that, so yeah, it's only really very very little that doesn't get saved on a the, on a falcon 9 launch that isn't saved on a falcon heavy launch so yeah it's only a little bit more expensive 90 million dollars compared to 60 million dollars incredible but the two side I cores the two side cores had already flown into space so b1023 mm. and b1025 one had uh, uh, flown into space to do a communication satellite and the other one yeah. has already been to space with a dragon cargo vessel up to the um, international space station, so they've both all both those cores that have both it's landed. Just old hat to them. It's just and, old hat. Yeah. So apparently they're not going to get used again because they're old block three versions, and they now want to move to block five. Uh, and there will not be a block six. That's told. it. So that is the last iteration of the Falcon. So the next. Uh, so when we see the Block Five Falcon, then that that is it. That is the last iteration That's of the, the Falcon. One. And then they start work on the in earnest on the BFR or the interplanetary transport, as he went back to calling it. As a tip to the hat to this podcast, no oh, doubt. All he keeps doing, it's like just stop it, Elon. So they both we landed. Get it. You on, like the poddy on LZ one and LZ two. At pad 13. There we go. So you could see them coming down. It was absolutely amazing. I noticed that they slightly got the footage wrong where they had the feed twice from one of the rockets. So it made it look Mm. as though that both rockets were coming down and they had really similar um, picture. But it's actually the picture from the same rocket, which was a bit annoying. Um, So then... Uh, it did a coast after stage two fired. It entered a low parking orbit at about mm. 185 kilometers, like a, cir- a proper circular orbit. And that was at 29 degrees um, inclination. 
and then it did a coast to the equator, uh, did a second burn to place itself in a in a highly elliptical orbit, which was 184 kilometers by 6,953 kilometers, which Jeez. which left um, poor old Starman in the Van Allen belts oh, that were discovered almost exactly 60 years ago. Apparently, it wasn't just a short little trip through the uh, Van Allen belts, Matt. They were actually, in, in Musk's words, dwelling there yeah, for dwelling several hours. Yeah, dwelling in the Van Allen belts. Now, I've I read... Several hours. Yeah, and uh, there is a thing that uh, Musk's car won't really last millions of years because the space, harsh space radiation will actually rip all the kind of organic components, i.e. the components mm. where, which have got carbon bonds, space radiation will will literally rip them all apart, like the seat leather, uh, some even even the carbon fibre eventually, although that, that will last some time. It will just leave a kind of metal frame. So the, the car will be destroyed quite quickly by the space radiation, by the way. Oh, man. It, what, even the little, um, even the microchip with made by humans on Earth written on it? Ooh, yeah that 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 will go. It, it definitely isn't space hardened. So where on from there? So it, it did two orbits of Earth in that really elliptical um, path, and then as it passed over Los Angeles, it reignited for a third burn, placing it into its escape trajectory. Uh, and it overperformed that third burn. So, Matt, this is one of the things that confused me, so I'm hoping that it mm. will confuse a lot of our listeners too. Um, why I thought that this thing was going to be orbiting Mars. Am no. I wrong about that? Yes, you and are. And can it still not happen? No, so it's never going to orbit Mars. That would require incredible bit of orbit, orbital mechanics to kind of get it to Mars, then slow it down enough so it actually stayed in Mars orbit. So what's going to happen is it's going to go out as far as where Mars's as orbit far is. far as Mars. Uh, but it, it's right. going to be in what's known as a heliocentric orbit. And Helios, obviously, is the sun. So it's actually orbiting the sun in an elliptical Got orbit it. that takes it as far out as Mars. But actually, it's overshot, essentially. Thanks for clearing that up. Yeah, and, and actually, I should read out some of the t- statistics from Jonathan McDowell, who seemed to be doing an awful lot of maths <laughs> and posting on yeah. Twitter some of these things. So it leaves the Earth-Moon system, known as the Hill Sphere... On mm-hmm. at six o'clock February the eleventh, and will enter a zero point nine nine times one point seven one AU heliocentric orbit. So that's one point seven one Earth to Sun distances multiplied by one Earth to Sun distance orbit, and it will pass. Just normal. Yeah, so it will pass the orbit of Mars in July two thousand and eighteen, reaching aphelion on November the 19th. So, God. yeah. So the escape orbit is 717 times minus 79,898 kilometres times 28.9 degrees with a C3 of 12 kilometres. So that Blimey. C3 is some kind of old textbook nomenclature from from some old textbook about orbital mechanics. So God knows what that means. But Jonathan so McDowell will be able to clear so that about, up. Give or take a few days, roughly six months to get into the orbit of Mars. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's going to be there in July. Amazing. So if only it was still sending pictures back. Matt, can we have a Mars party in July, please? Why not? 
Well, we should do. We should we should go roasters at Mars. Let's tip a hat yeah, to it. Good time. What? What I thought a lot of people were a bit disappointed that he wasn't actually testing the spacesuit. But I, I loved Musk's response yeah. was, you look, yeah. you can just get in a vacuum chamber and test it out. It's fine. <laughs> it's like he's, he has tested it. He doesn't <laughs> yeah. need to test it because it yeah, works. It's, it's like it's as simple as that. So I thought that was yeah. that was funny. A lot of people were moaning that they didn't have any kind of experiments on board. It's like, well, to be to be honest, space experiments do take a long time to set up and would be very expensive as a result. So I don't think it's mm. too ridiculous. So do you know what else went yeah. went in the car other than uh, the Starman dressed in the actual, actual working prototype of, uh, of a SpaceX spacesuit. Well, apparently, Matt, there was a, a miniature version of the Tesla with a miniature Starman at the wheel <laughs> on the dashboard. Did you know that? Yes, that was funny, wasn't it? But an interesting like one, which BBC News got wrong. They said that uh, it was carrying a um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in the glove box. Right. It wasn't carrying Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It was carrying Isaac Asimov's um, foundation book series that's been printed on an arch device, which is a 5D laser optical quartz storage device that will Jeez, which will wow. survive the rigors of space. So that actually will maybe one of the things that just lasts and lasts and lasts. Um, and also a plaque with six thousand SpaceX employees' signatures. How cool is that? See, you know, if it ever does meet a little alien. They'll yep. be chuffed with all that, won't they? Well, they'll go, what the heck is this? Is it... You've got Bowie's music, you've got SpaceX signatures, you've they're... got a little toy car. Of course, there was a reference to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and that was the don't panic. Yeah, I mean, that's just a classy touch. It is Incredible. a classy touch. But there's quite a few English references. You've got a bit of uh, Douglas Adams, you've got a bit of David Bowie. And even the roadster, roadster itself, I believed, was designed by a British designer. Not, not, not. Well, of course, it was. Yeah, bound to be. I'm going to yeah. leave that in, even if it's not true. It's basically what you're saying, Matt. Is this is basically a British launch? Yeah, this is essentially a British space mission. We should be very proud. I'm fully backing you. There's a, there's been a lot of whinges actually on Facebook and Twitter about. This launch, oh, like what, what's so exciting about it, and and uh, oh look at what it's so wasteful, and it's just like no idiots. There's a lot to be excited here. A, it's the same people as saying, why do we spend so much money on sending people to the space station when we need money for hospitals? Yeah, it's just it's not the right argument. Well, it does doesn't make any sense because actually space actually generates more tax revenues than it costs the taxpayer. So. Particularly yeah, SpaceX. And I mean, not only that, if you listen to our Tim Peake interview from last week, if you didn't, what are you doing? Go back and catch up. But of course, there's experiments that are happening now that are helping science and medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Peake was talking about the advances in asthma that has, you know, changed the way that we work back on Earth. Yeah. So, well, not to that. mention new metals and ways of observing the Earth so that we can keep an eye on global exactly. warming and disasters hey, Matt, and stuff like that. Yeah. Talking about uh, ways of observing the Earth, have we heard from the Flat Earth Society yet or have they... Oh, man. Of course, there was, loads of, there was loads of flat earthers on those live <laughs> feeds on YouTube. Like, no, this is so fake. This is so fake. This is so fake. <sighs> I, wonder if, I wonder if any of them were at the launch... Something makes me think they weren't. It's just bizarre. Well, I know I love it. Yeah. I love it. I mean, it's just, it's one thing having a, a, a like 
believing in conspiracy theory, but to can sort we, of if we ever get to Cape, Cape Canaveral, Matt, can we take a flat earther with us? Uh, I think we should interview a flat earther this year because I think we we haven't done oh, one. Of, we, we haven't we haven't we haven't had a little chat with one of these. <laughs> we need to get back on the conspiracy train, don't we? Yeah, we, we definitely yeah, need it's to. It's been a while, so let's let's get a flat earther on soon. But I, I genuinely so Matt, let me ask you this: What else has been happening? So yeah, what what else? I mean, it's been a bit of a pity because obviously this has been such a monumental piece of news and has like uh-huh. overshadowed everything. I mean, when was the last time a space event got to be the news headlines on the BBC? It was the headline. Headline. Yeah, I li- yeah. literally it couldn't was believe everywhere. it. Everywhere. But I tell you what it else. Was everywhere. I, Loved it. I tell you what else happened this week, which Go was on. interesting. In the old ye oldy space flight news, we had. I'll be the judge of that. Well, in Japan, we had the SS520 mm. flying from Ukinura, and uh, it was it had the Tricom One R satellite on it, and that is the right. smallest rocket to successfully launch a satellite ever. And it was successful Ooh. on the 3rd of February, and it's in orbit, and it's a, a technology demonstrator, and it's working. So, well done, so the Japanese. So, everyone's talking about big, big rockets. Yeah, it's like literally they went for the smallest. The world. They've literally done the smallest. We'll go for the small one. Yeah. How Good cool work, is that? Japan. Well done, Japan. And the day before that, we, uh, which was just after our last podcast, we did mention this launch, but Long March 2D... Uh, put up a bunch of satellites, uh, some European, uh, and those two European ones are really ESA's first mission of the year. So it's worth talking about this because it's quite ah. ex- it, it's GOM-X4B is the agency's most advanced technology tester yet, featuring a hyperspectral right. camera and tiny thrusters to manoeuvre thousands of kilometres from its near twin to try out radio links. So I think the idea of that is, is like... Uh, uh, formation flying between nanosats or small, you know, very small satellites, uh, which is pretty, pretty, pretty cool. But it it doesn't end there. So the GOM-4A uh, is um, includes monitoring Arctic territories, um, and it doesn't carry any thrusters, but will fly behind the GOM-X-4B, allowing the pair to test their radio links at various distances. Right. It will also... Uh, monitor the performance of some off-the-shelf computer parts in the harsh environment of space. So they've got a a bunch of different types of computer RAM and see how they fare in space radiation. And it's also carrying a new star tracker for the Dutch CubeSat manufacturer, the unfortunately titled ISIS. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Ah, yes. Yeah. Wow! So that was Nat- uh, ESA's first launch of the year. Was this this week on a Jap- on a Chinese Long March two D? Well, hats off, everyone! Well, well done. done, well done. Other exciting news: uh, one of uh-huh. our favourites. So go on. So Sierra Nevada and the Dream oh, Chaser yes. have Dream been Chaser. given. Yeah, NASA has given authority for them to proceed for their first mission up to the space station under resupply service contract 2 in late 2020 so we might see a dream chaser going up to the international space station very soon oh, in a couple finally. of years finally so that would be that's awesome so that would be pretty exciting wouldn't it uh, and uh, big time of course just like the european space plane it's um mm. it the, the whole idea 
idea of it is that it can get laboratory experiments back to the floor, back to the runway, essentially, so that they can be uh, retrieved very, very quickly. Well, that's good. That's good to know. And actually, a lot. Of, yeah. I mean, if you're investing. Yeah. That's something that you would be very pleased to hear. And it can remain attached to the space station for extended periods and the crew can work inside there because it's got a pressurised capsule um, and it allows, uh, it's a flying laboratory that allows scientists to send commands, receive data in real time. So it does quite, it it does a lot. So it can return 2,000 kilograms of cargo and pinpoint land it at the NASA Kennedy Space Centre for immediate post landing handover to the to the customers that is pretty special so instead of splashing down in the ocean and possibly ruining all these very expensive experiments it's it's there to go and grab it's there it's done go and get it so apparently there's been some news out in space jamie you're going to tell me about it oh well you i know that you want to hear about a study on trappist one do i what do you think's happened well yeah we haven't we haven't heard about trappist one for a while what's what's the what's the new scoop based on the planet's densities some have masses that are up to 5% water, which could amount to 250 times the water on Earth's oceans. Woo. Think about that, Matt. Mm-hmm. I mean, up to 5% water. You know what that could mean, Matt? Could mean life. Water means life. So whether the planet's water would be in the form of ice, liquid or vapour depends on the amount of heat each receives from the star, which has 9% of the sun's mass. So there's, you know, obviously a load of stuff that we still don't know. But how exciting is that? It's amazing. I, I still think my favourite fact is that all the planets um, will f- easily fit inside the orbit of Mercury. So it's like they're so close to their parent star, but their parent star is really weak. And, and That's so, so nuts. It, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. So I think, yeah, this new study was um, a guy called Sean Carey, who's manager of the Spitzer yeah, Science Centre. Yeah, he's got a right? couple of nice quotes for us. He said... We know more about TRAPPIST-1 than any other planetary system apart from our own. Uh, he said, the improved densities in our study dramatically refine our understanding of the nature of these mysterious worlds. Yeah, so, yeah. Nice. Yeah, so that, that journal is well w- worth a look, and it's in the Journal of Astronomy and Astrophysics. And there's some great, um, some great little illustrations about planet density and the illumination from host star. So Trappist one D, just looking at them now, yeah, Trappist one D is very similar to Earth in its illumination from the uh, from its host star, and Trappist one E mm. is almost the exact same density as a, a, as Earth. So D and E must must be very good candidates to being Earth like. It's just a pity they might be they uh, tidally locked. Mm. That might be the only downer here. The only snag. The snagicus maximus. Uh, Matt, I heard also I heard also that there's been a you know, there's been one or two planets found outside of our galaxy. Oh, do you know what? I saw this just after the Falcon Heavy launch. And I was almost What's been bl- going on? I was almost as blown away by this as the Falcon Heavy launch. So Well no wonder you were ill. I, I just made myself ill with too much sp- that's what happens. Too much space will kill you. Just as much as none at all. What happened? Uh, using a technique <laughs> of micro-lensing, astronomers have detected 2,000 planets beyond the Milky Way. These aren't... Shut the front door. These aren't exoplanets. These are extra-galactic 
planets. These are planets to be found in another galaxy 3.8 billion light years away. So this has actually been used before. So I, th I believe that they've used micro lensing to. They accidentally saw a moon once uh, using micro lensing, but they'll never be able to confirm it because it was a complete fluke uh, to do with the way that these two stars crossed so, each other. So Matt, without getting too hot and heavy on us, mm -hmm. what is micro lensing? So micro lensing. Imagine a lens bends light using refraction, right? So you've yes. got a lens and it bends light and you can magnify things. Very simply, you see a magnifying glass. All it's doing is bending the light and so it makes things look bigger. Now, micro-lensing yes. uh, is the same thing, but what it does is uses enormous objects like quasars and things to bend the light. So it's actually using enormous gravitation to bend the light. And using that technique, they've been... Uh, it's the, they can see very, very distant galaxies, for example, by using very large galaxies mm. and microlensing, and you see these weird smears that look like mistakes on the film as, as light sort of gets bent around that galaxy, and you can see even further away galaxies in the distance. But they've been able to do the same thing. Now, I must admit, I got, I got excited and thought that they've actually found 2,000 planets that, that you can actually tell their positions. But what they've really yeah. done is that... Um, and this is the the quote that says that, that the planets are needed to explain the frequent FEKA line energy shifts uh, observed in the gravitationally lensed quasar. We constrain the planet's mass fraction to be larger than 0.00001 of the halo mass, Stop. which is equivalent to 2,000 <laughs> objects ranging from moon to Jupiter mass per main sequence star. So all they've managed to do is really sort Matt, of... Matt, have you ever kissed a girl? No. All that they've managed to do is really <laughs> infer that there must be planets and moons in this um, star system using the lensing by the quasar. So they haven't actually seen the planets, but they've inferred their existence, uh, but not seen them individually. So they know that there's at least 2,000 objects from moon to Jupiter size. Matt, you've done it again. You've done it again. My head hurts. What am I... Uh, now I'm not going to be able to think about anything else. No, so so they know that there's planets there. So we know that, that there's planets in these other galaxies. I think that's extraordinary. I genuinely think that's, that's extraordinary. That's unbelievable, isn't it? It's so cool. We're not alone, Matt. No, we're not alone. But to imagine trying to I'll communicate... Wait till the with... end. Oh, what a tune that is. Yeah. I'll wait till the end of time. But imagine... Who did that? Answers on a postcard. Yeah, I... Imagine trying to communicate with a species 3.8 billion light years away. What would be your first, what would, what would you say first of all, Matt? You'd say hello, and then it would take 3.8 billion years to get the answer. <laughs> It'd be so annoying. You'd, yeah, yeah. No, in fact, it wouldn't. It? Sorry, it would take, it would take 7.6 billion years to get the answer. Oh. Imagine if they just replied and they said, what? What? Sorry, I didn't hear you. You'd be like, oh, for God's sake. Yeah, can you say that again? <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, dearie me. What was the silly news story of the week? Matt, have you ever had an RIS? An RIS? A rave in space. <laughs> a rave in space. No, yeah. but I, I believe one has happened. If you've never been aboard a specially converted A310 aircraft, then um, you haven't lived. No, so it's weird. I didn't realise that ESA had one of these, that, that, that a vomit comet. Yeah, big time. I was reading about that today. They've decided to have a rave on it, <laughs> and it took off from <laughs> Frankfurt Airport and lasted 90 minutes. 20 partygoers, yep. DJs, 
and two European Space Agency astronauts were on board. Yeah. And this that's quite a crew. That is quite a crew. Maybe they played that song. Yeah, we're bound to. You're not alone. alone. Uh, the, the event also coincides with, and we're going to talk about this next, the 10th anniversary of the launch of ESA's Columbus Laboratory Module. Happy anniversary. That's why I was watching the space shuttle launch, the STS-122. Yeah, you were. So, yeah, the, the, the Columbus Science Laboratory went up exactly 10 years ago. Obviously a very important part of the International Space Station and is ESA's uh, mm. biggest contribution to the ISS, but by no means its only it turns out. Uh, so, yeah, the Harmony and Tranquility modules were both built in Turin, as was the Columbus module, I didn't, uh, which I did not know. Ah. Uh, it was uh, launched on board the Space Shuttle Atlantis on February the 7th, 2008. Uh, and it cost 1.4 billion euros, which for our Ouch. American listeners is about $2 billion. $2 billion. Greenies. Yep. Uh, uh, and but that includes the experiments that that will fly in it and ground control infrastructure necessary to operate them. Um, and just to give oh. you just to give you some idea of size, it's about four point five meters in external diameter uh-huh. and six point nine meters in overall length. And there and we have been in a, in a mock up of it, of course, at the uh, STEC when we went to the STEC Open Day. We have, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, and they can add loads of stuff to it. Uh, one, 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 one half, one of the end cones contains all the computers and the other is where you get the common, common birthing mechanism, which has nothing to do with That's right. the pregnant uh, astronauts. It's, no. it's where things, no. you know, it's where things attach. Um, yeah, so Columbus was actually planned as part of the Columbus Programme which was uh, to develop an autonomous manned space station that we could use for a variety of microgravity experiments. Uh, and that was started in 1986, but ended in 1991. And it had one of the most amazing things that ESA never ever finished was the Hermes shuttle, which was a little bit like, I suppose, uh, Dream Chaser. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, but after loads of cuts, they got rid of all the three components and we were left with the one, which then took its name from the whole program and just became Columbus. The APM, ah. the Attached Pressurised Module. So its shape is based literally so it can fly inside a space shuttle. So it's 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 absolutely go. that shape for a reason. And... Uh, the agreement with NASA from ESA is that ESA get to use 51% of the Columbus Laboratory at all times. So uh, there's always 51% of the work going on in there is is ESA work. You're amazing. And i tell you what else happened this week as well. Go on then. A spacewalk. Oh, you know I love a spacewalk. Do you know what? We never hear about the Russian spacewalks, do we? No, we don't. We don't. This was a big one. So uh, Mizurkin and Shkapalarov went out in uh-huh. their Orland spacesuits, which are very different, you know, which are very different to the uh, ones that you see the NASA and ESA astronauts going out in. And they mm. came out the the Piers module. They it was it was to replace an old receiver box antenna and uh, which which took a very long time. So this is the longest Russian EVA ever. 8 hours and 13 minutes. 
and it's the cool, fourth, that's a long time. fourth longest EVA ever by the criteria of when the hatch is open and when the hatch is closed. Matt, what was the longest one? The longest ever is STS-102 EVA-1, I believe. And how long was that? Do you know what? I don't know. Maybe people can write in. Well, that's some homework for you. So I, I, what I, a week. I'm going to be interviewing a chap called Paul Hildebrandt uh, uh, yes. later, later tonight. And uh, we'll be slotting in a very, very short interview because he wants to talk to us about his new documentary about Apollo 8 called First to the Moon, which I'm very excited about because he's got lots of clips from it and it looks brilliant. So I'm going to interview him and slot it in right here. I'm joined by Paul Hildebrandt, who is a filmmaker, film producer, and is working on a documentary. Hello, Paul. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me on the show. Please, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the documentary that you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. So working on a new film about Apollo 8. Uh, for those that don't know, this was the mission, the first mission to the moon in 1968. We didn't land on the moon, but this is the first mission where we flew out to the moon, orbited the moon, took the famous Earthrise photo where we saw the Earth from such a distance for the first time. Uh, really impacted everybody back here on Earth and the three guys that were on the spacecraft. Um, so this documentary is called First to the Moon, and uh, it has all new interviews with astronauts Bill Anders, Jim Lovell, and Frank Borman, as well as fresh footage that we have uh, been working on transferring from the National Archives, and uh, as well as footage from the astronauts' personal collections themselves that's never been seen. Sounds absolutely fantastic. Apollo 8, we obviously covered it on the 49th anniversary. It's one of my uh, favorite space missions of all time, and often people say it's technically the greatest space mission of all time. Uh, would you agree with that? I would. I would. Because, you know, it, it was really the first time, like I said, that we went to the moon. You know, Apollo 11 gets all the fame because of the first steps and Neil Armstrong goes on the moon, plants the flag and does all that. But, you know, we had done it before with Apollo 8 and and then we did it again with uh, with 10. And uh, – <clears throat> But this was the first time, you know, they had to fly out there. They had to make sure that that that, uh, that service module engine was going to ignite. Otherwise, they'd still be orbiting the moon today. Um, so it was really a, a feat of engineering that everything worked out basically perfectly. Uh, and they were able to get back and, and uh, continue on. Ever since we covered it on episode 60, it's it's stayed in my imagination because it's an incredible mission. Uh, and the more you read about it, the more details come out of just what an incredible feat it was so your documentary is on kickstarter is that correct and there's one week left is is that correct that's right yeah we have one week left uh, it ends on february 15th uh the morning of february 15th depending on where you are in the world is my my morning probably your evening um but uh yeah we we need to raise as of time of this recording we still have sixty three thousand to go um, so we need a lot more people to, to pitch in so that we can, so that we can get this film produced. And, and what this pays for is things like the music, the animation and the archival film. Transferring archival film is extremely expensive. Hiring animators is very expensive as well as, uh, you know, a composer to make the music. This all making a movie properly is, is expensive work. And, uh, 
and we're hoping that everybody can can pitch in a little bit. And we've got some great rewards that we're going to give to you, uh, you know, DVDs, Blu-rays, a poster, and then we're reproducing the Apollo mission patch, uh, the Apollo 8 mission patch, uh, as closely as we can to the original, um, and we'll be sending those out as well. I'm very, very excited. I really, really hope you give you all the best wishes in the world to try and get this thing made and finished. So uh, obviously I invite all our listeners to go and check out the Kickstarter page. And um, if you can, make a donation and get this thing over the line. What is the URL that they should go to? Probably the easiest thing to do is just go to our website, firstmoonmovie.com. There's a link to Kickstarter right there on the homepage. Is this your first documentary or have you made others? Uh, this will be my second feature documentary. The first one, I, I made a film called Fight for Space, which was a space advocacy film uh, that kind of asked, you know, why aren't we doing more things in space? And uh, with the launch of Falcon Heavy uh, the other day, I'm excited that we are starting to do more things now. So things are looking up. Absolutely. And uh, where can people find that movie so they can have a look at your work? Yeah, Fight for Space is available on pretty much any video-on-demand platform. If you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Excellent. That's my evening's viewing sorted out. The, on the Kickstarter campaign, is the footage that, that's on there the, the, the extra footage that you shot of Jim Lovell and people like that? Yeah, the, the footage on the Kickstarter, that, that's our interviews with them. And, uh, and then the footage, the archival film, is, is some of the stuff that we've transferred already. Yeah, It looks amazing. Good luck with that, Paul. And... Uh, come on the show again once you've finished up and let us know when it's going to be released yeah i'd be happy to thanks for spending the time paul and i'll speak to you soon all right thanks matt that sounds amazing well good luck i just found an amazing piece of news what's happened matt remember last week we spoke about the falcon 9 where the where they weren't supposed to recover the booster but it landed in the ocean anyway i remember yeah well, it, it turns out that the U.S. Air Force have carried out an airstrike to blow it up because it was an unsafe floating booster. So they've just gone really. Yeah, so they've just gone in and, and blown it up. Oh, I'd have loved that job. Jamie, are you doing anything? Uh, no, I'm back from my break, sir. Uh, do you mind uh, just flying over this part of the ocean and blowing this up? Yeah, it's fine. Oh yeah. So it says here's things like unsafe uh, composite overwrap pressure vessels could have made it a ticking time bomb oh. uh, and hazard to na- navigation and marine life, being that they are stored dangerous amounts of energy, if not vented. That is ace. That is, that is put, I'll tell you what, Matt. Yeah. If we aren't putting the ace back into space, I don't know who is. It hasn't been confirmed. What, us putting the ace back into space? Or Well, yeah, no, that's been confirmed. <laughs> so that, that has been confirmed. Sorry, I was... I, no, I, I, was, I, just, got, I was just being silly, I got, Matt. I got distracted. I was just being very silly. According to the best estimates by astronomers, 275 million new stars are born every single day. That's a lot of births. That's a lot of births. Is that about the same as humans? Let me Google it. 353,000 babies are born each day on average around the world. So, yeah, 275 million new stars every second is a lot more than humans on the planet. It's probably. I wonder. I wonder if there's any animal that, that's at 270. Anything else? There's 12 times 1.7 times 10 to the 16 flies born and every year. So, yeah, there's loads more flies than stars. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll sleep well tonight. Still. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Yeah. I'm uh, new to this podcast. I've just listened today. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything I can do 
that might might be good for me going forward uh what would be very good is if you made a subscription to uh itunes or 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 or, or your favorite uh podcasting aggregator and would you like me to leave a review I would love for you to leave a very nice review. And hey, Matt, um, I know that I know that you and Jamie, you know, you put your heart and soul into this, and it's free. Mm-hmm. Is there anything? I, is there anywhere I can go to maybe just donate like a couple of bucks? Yeah, so you can go to Patreon, which is www.patreon forward slash interplanetary, and just like go there and go. Do you know what? I'm going to give these guys a hundred quid a month for what they do genius oh. and <laughs> i mean that's just a drop in that's just a drop in the ocean <clears throat> well you know we we get through we get through a lot of booze when we've got elon musk on on here and we have to play the drinking game that is Drink. true and matt if i want to subscribe is that all right yeah do it just subscribe just go if you want to just, just donate do it. nothing yeah? it's still fine we still love you but just not as not as much as the people who oh, do we definitely love those people the most i'm only kidding entered at Skylon level, ah, Skylon level, Skylon okay. level, are Mister Bob Hodges, Bob, you're Mr. a legend, Erin Edwards, yes, and Mister Julio Abreu, Julio, yes, Julio is 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 essentially God. Bob, Erin, thank you so much, mega legends. Well, listen, if you want your name read out, that's how you do it. Get over to Patreon. Um, but we'll stop going on about it now. We just love the feedback. Please keep sending in your questions and comments, and especially when I've got stuff wrong. Um, we love all that. Keep it up. Keep keep your pecker keep up. Keep your pecker up, y'all. I'm going to go and stroll around the docks of Hamburg, and I, I bid <laughs> you good night. <laughs> night, night, Jamie. Well, before you go, the Interplanetary yeah. Podcast. Putting, Putting the ace. ace. Back into space. space.